so the Josh Dobbs game was a lot of fun, but is this really what we're going forward with? Or is it Jaron Hall, Mullins? What's going on in the future? Welcome to the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You like it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, where we're always trying to learn something new. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun. Thank you so much to all of you who uh, listen to this show every single day. My hashtag everydayers. I love hearing from you. I've heard from you a lot lately, and I absolutely just, I adore it. Keep it coming. You can find the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is anywhere where you can listen to your favorite shows, like the SiriusXM app, for example, which we're partnered with. And you can also find SiriusXM uh, live broadcasts of all the games if you just want to listen to the uh, Paul Allen broadcast. That is available on SiriusXM as well. You can also find Locked On Vikings on YouTube or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. Today is Twitter Tuesday, so I am answering your questions. You can send me questions whenever you want. Send them to me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL or at LockedOnVikings. You can uh, send an email to LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com or fill out the Google form in the show notes or uh, just ask me a question in the YouTube comments. I'll get around to it. So uh, let's start with, I mean, everybody asked a million questions about Josh Dobbs, so we'll start with those. The first one I'm going to do comes from Robert Bach, who asks, in your opinion, how good will Dobbs have to play on Sunday, assuming Hall is still out, to say that he is the de facto starter? That was the most common question, right? It was, well, what's going to happen from here on out? So here's my my opinion for that. Uh I think that Dobbs would have to prove a couple of things over Jaron Hall. After watching what I watched of Hall, and I'm not all the way through the Dobbs tape, uh, but what I know about it, at least, um, he needs to get as good of a grasp of the playbook as Hall has. Because Jaron Hall has the playbook, and he has the complicated pre-snap nuances of the playbook down in a way that I don't know if you if anyone can get like as as smart as Josh Dobbs is, it's a lot to ask for him to get that stuff down without like having a training camp uh, and, and a, you know, OTAs and a lot of time to just kind of sit and marinate with it. So those nuances that I'm talking about in particular are like the pre-snap adjustments that are available. For one, there's a whole family of protection calls and adjustments that you can make based on what you see in the fronts. Uh, if Josh Dobbs plays... Bradbury probably just has to like take that. Uh, that's what Kevin O'Connell said. He was the like, quote unquote, make it right guy. So Dobbs had to know the protection, but he didn't know the protection calls. So if he were going to call something, Bradbury kind of had to double check that and make sure that he knew what needed to be communicated to the rest of the offensive line. Kind of crazy to do that on the fly in the middle of a game. And that's like not a way to live. So we got to get to a point where we're not, making up for the quarterback's protection calls, right? Totally understandable on five days of study. Moving forward in the season, though, that's not like an acceptable way to live. So we got to get rid of that problem. We got to get rid of the 
you know, he's got to know the, the calls that he's giving in the huddle. And I, I think on the tape, there were times when receivers were just like running routes that didn't really go together or, or match with each other. Uh, at least not in the concepts that I've been familiar with watching here. Maybe I just don't know that one. So could just be a me problem. Absolutely. Uh, but if that is the case where you've got guys running routes that just don't really make sense together, uh, and, and meaning somebody did run the wrong route, probably cause they got the wrong thing in the huddle. Very understandable in the first game, way less understandable in the future. So you gotta not have that stuff. And then I think Dobbs is like mechanics and experience and polish will sort of take him over the top and he can get that job. I think that's the way it works. But that's a level of like mastery of a complicated playbook. I don't know if you get there in a matter of weeks. I don't know if you get there in a matter of months or at least over the the place that we've already seen that Jaron Hall is uh, because he's making those pre-snap checks at the line, whether it is protections, whether it's audibling into entire new plays, he was doing that or just canning into like backup plays that were called. He was doing that. Uh, there, that's, there's a lot of catching up to do. So I think it has to be more than just, oh, he survives and he throws a couple of good balls. I, I think he needs to show that mastery. Otherwise you go back to Jaron Hall, who knows the playbook better than the guy who just got here. Uh, Matt and Diana says, what's your jo our Josh Dobbs projection? If Bayesian logic is a thing, uh, love the Bayesian drop. For those who don't know, Bayesian logic is like the logic that you'll use in like algorithms. But it's a good way of thinking. It's essentially the idea of updating your priors as new information comes in. So if my prior on Josh Dobbs, it was a certain way from watching his Cardinals tape. What's the projection now that we've seen a game of his? Um, and to be honest, the game against Atlanta, it's like it's such a one off, right? It's such a weird, unique circumstance. That so much of it doesn't really project and translate into the future. So I don't know how useful it is from a Bayesian perspective, um, but I learned a lot about his mechanics and the way that he throws the football. And I liked it a lot. Uh, and the way that he kind of handles adversity, there is a very never give up mentality in the way that he scrambles in the pocket and the way that he kind of kept plays alive, especially like that fourth and seven where he escapes a sack and he scrambles for it, that kind of thing. There's a, there's a guttiness to that. And I guess that's the thing that I add to the projection uh, that, is pretty exciting. Um, so I we'll see what happens against the Saints. Nelson Thielen says, if Hall and Dobbs are both healthy, which do you think is more important to evaluate in games for the rest of the season? Do I either have a long-term bridge starter potential that needs to be sussed out, or should they just play whoever helps you win in the short term? So both these guys, I mean, they both have bridge QB potential, right? They both have every opportunity in the world to ball out so hard that they that they earn a long-term job, right? Like what if they just start throwing four touchdowns a game? You're like, oh my God, this dude is the greatest. Who knows, right? They've got every opportunity in the world to do it. Will they? I'm not going to predict that, but you don't know what you don't know, right? Uh, so for me, I, both of them, it, I think it's equal to evaluate them. I will say they probably know more about Jaron Hall. He's, you know, like been here. They probably have a great idea of where he's at. And personally, like my draft prior on Jaron Hall was this dude feels destined to be a bridge QB. Like to just have a, an eight year career, like losing camp competitions to various rookies, like Matt Flynn style, like and because he knows all of the because he knows the McVeigh system because they ran the McVeigh system at, at, at BYU or at least something that looked like it on tape uh, that he like he's just destined to be like a 
have a cushy career as a backup than go into coaching. And maybe that's the same for Josh Dobbs. So I feel like I don't know if one really gets the advantage over the other on that. Uh, but it's also, yeah, you're not you're not putting guys in to evaluate them. I don't think until you're like mathematically eliminated, like literally actually mathematically eliminated in the sports center. Twitter account has put out the graphic. Then I think you're just putting in the guy you think is going to play the best, which also is like, I want to evaluate the guy I think is the better quarterback too, right? Like that also does kind of play into that. If you are going to take that logic, uh, anti-gravity says, would Dobbs knowing the offense just ruin the magic? Do we just ride the chaos? Uh, I love it. Yeah. Let's just not teach him anything and say, go out there and hoop. <laughs> you can't, you can't defend. You can't predict what the Vikings are going to do. The Vikings can't predict what the Vikings are going to do. Uh, no, obviously that's not a sustainable way to live. I eventually you need to get on the same page and actually have some sort of coherent strategy where, uh, every member of the 11 on offense knows what the other guy is supposed to do. You have to have that. Otherwise you'll fall apart pretty fast and it gets pretty easy to defend you. Ryan L says, with all the talk of Dobbs or Hall to start against the Saints, I feel like we've neglected the fact that Nick Mullins is eligible to return next week. Is Mullins starting a possibility? Possibility, sure. Uh, it does not sound like Nick Mullins is on his way, but he is eligible to return, as is Justin Jefferson. It sounds like neither of those guys will, but we're kind of like on watch for that. Um when Nick Mullins does come back, assuming he does come back this season, I, it, it's been kind of cagey. I, I have no idea what the timeline is at all. So assuming he comes back this season at all, yeah, then it becomes like, well, he was above Jaron Hall in the depth chart. So maybe he does just come in and take the job. I think that's absolutely a possibility, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be this week. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, got a lot more questions, stuff about Cam Akers, stuff about there's a Bobby Bryant one in here and it's going to get weird. This is just a week for that, so <laughs> let's keep it rolling. Thank you so much to Prize Picks, the sponsor of today's episode. Prize Picks is daily fantasy, but it's not daily fantasy the way you might be familiar with it. If you listen to Locked On Vikings on Fridays, you know what I'm talking about because we do our prized picks every Friday. Uh, but Prize picks is essentially a series of more than less than games. It's not daily fantasy where you're like putting together a whole lineup and you have to pick a kicker and a defense and then stick it into a pool with 6,000 other people. No, it's just you versus the house in a series of more than less than games. If you want to get involved, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. You can also use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's uh, prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL or code locked on NFL in the app for a free deposit match up to $100. They got some basketball stuff in there too, so you can get in on the T Wolves action, even combo football and basketball together. Pretty cool stuff. Once again, that is prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day on this very fine Twitter Tuesday. Hey, on Fridays, check out the Locked On Vikings YouTube page. There is a live show that's like this NFL kickoff live show that we've been doing uh, with a bunch of people breaking down the weekend's games upcoming, as well as talking about what happened on Thursday night football, whatever horror you're going to see there with the Bears and Panthers, <laughs> and uh, getting you ready for your fantasy lineups, your bets, all of that good stuff. Let's move on. It's Twitter Tuesday. So the next one comes from Skull. 
Actuary, who asks, what were the conditions on the Acres trade and did we meet them or not? So the conditions on the Cam Acres trade, if you remember, it was a sixth for a seventh pick swap with the Los Angeles Rams, contingent upon Cam Akers reaching 500 rushing yards. He did not reach 500 rushing yards, so the condition is not met, and the picks swap back. So in terms of draft capital, the Vikings paid nothing for what they got of Cam Akers. Kind of a bummer. He probably was going to be, maybe he was, he would have been able to hit that if his his usage kept going up. Um, yeah, big bummer with Cam Akers. I still am of the mind that I want to see him back in camp. I know coming off of another Achilles injury is going to be really hard considering how much the first one messed with him. But hey, let's bring him back into camp and see what happens. You know, worst case scenario, he doesn't make the team. Uh, Skull Chester says, now that Akers is out, would you like to have Dalvin back if the Jets release him? Man, if the Jets cut Dalvin, that is just the death knell of death knells. I know it's over. I'm sorry. He looks very cooked. He's getting deeply outsnapped by Michael Carter and Brees Hall. He's an RB3 in New York. Uh, I, I think it would kind of only be like sentimental. And I, I, I don't think we need to do that. If you're going to start taking guys up off practice squads or whatever, look at James Robinson. Look at some of the other guys that are like, you know, young hyper athletes uh, with probably pretty fresh legs. That would be what you want to do if you want to get another running back in the building. Kind of doesn't sound like they're going to do that, though. I don't know. Maybe they will. Who's to say? Uh, but I, no, I, I I think it's over with Dalvin. I think you just kind of got to say you got out of that one at the right time and uh, let sleeping dogs lie. Jack says, if Kevin O'Connell plays into Dobbs' mobility, could we see a more efficient rushing attack as defenses will have to approach Rundy differently? Um, so this is a really interesting thing, the way that you defend if, if you have to defend the option. So I think the Vikings would be crazy if they don't do a little bit of zone read. Um, for one blocking zone read about the same, just changes something for the quarterback and the running back. The running back just has to know that sometimes you won't get the ball and the QB is going to keep it. You still leave the backside edge unchained, which the Vikings did a lot in their just regular zone package. They would leave the backside edge unchained. What that means is unblocked. You're just letting that guy run and hoping that the running back is faster than him. Um, and Typically, the Vikings would do that, but then they would have rollout action, hoping that that edge would be occupied looking at the rollout. So if there's zone read and you're you're defending that versus rollout, it's it's a lot of the same logic. Um, so from that angle, that wouldn't actually change the way that you defend the run at all. But what it would do is it would put the that backside defensive end in a little bit more conflict where he has to choose. Do we go upfield in case of a rollout or do we stay home in case that's a run? Because if you start going upfield, then that quarterback can just go, you know, take off straight up the field uh, or squeeze it against the tackle and you've run yourself out of position. So it does add a new little wrinkle uh, that they kind of were already getting with rollouts, but the idea of just having that like 11th guy is going to give you better numbers and, and allow you to utilize some of the other stuff that you want to do. For example, you don't have to necessarily use a tight end in the run game to block that backside edge and, and run like split zone, which is where a tight end comes from the front side, works across to the backside, working against all the offensive linemen, and then blocks that edge rusher. You can leave that guy unblocked if you have zone read action. 
Uh, and you can use that tight end to block front side now, get a numbers advantage back. So you, you absolutely can use it if you want to change your strategy up. And I think the Vikings should. I, I think that that is a, a really potent extra layer. Shadowflame says KOC, coach of the year. Seems like he really got disrespected last year. Um, uh, maybe he did. Yeah. First year coach coming in, taking a team that was eight and nine and making them 13 and four and all the close games was, had so, so many good like coaching moments. Um, Maybe. I kind of get it why it was Dable, though. Uh, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes it's a hype award. It kind of goes to the best new coach. And hey, both those guys were first year. But I think it goes to McDaniel, to be honest. I think he runs away with it. Um, it's kind of not not the he's not the newest coach. He's he's in his second year, but he's kind of like the, the next big thing as a coach. So I, I think it, it's going to go to McDaniel with a with a bullet, unfortunately. I get the idea, though, right? Like, he, hey, he's now he's generating wins with, you know, a guy like especially coming off this game. Like, that's got to be a sentiment, right? Because that is this was the coaching masterclass of coaching masterclasses to get competent offense out of a dude that doesn't even know the names of the guys he's throwing to. I mean, that's legacy stuff. Scene season asks, how is your stance on Lewis scene changed from being from him being a healthy scratch? Do you think that's more of a special teams thing or does it mean Theo and Ward are better as of now? Well, so we know that they think Theo is better as of now because there have been moments where another safety has gone in and it's been Theo Jackson and not Lewis scene. I think between him and Ward, that's special teams. Uh, Lewis scene is not good at special teams. Uh, he's had some special teams blunders on tape already. He got killed in the special teams drills that I saw on, uh, at, at camp, at least he is not here to play special teams. <laughs> so that'll make you a healthy scratch, uh, over somebody like Jay Ward, even if they would rather have seen in than Jay Ward as an actual safety, which hasn't been tested yet. So we can't say for sure. Like they, ha they haven't really had to declare how they feel about that yet, but I think for me, my, hey, let's hold out hope because we haven't seen anything deal goes kind of sideways when uh, when Theo Jackson goes in over you. He's a sixth round, second year player. You're a first round, second year player. And, and he, you've been usurped by him now, too. I get it with Metellus. He's balling. I get it with Bynum. He's balling. Theo Jackson doesn't feel like he's ever been anything special to me. He didn't feel like he really did anything special in the preseason either. And I think Lewis Seen is probably just struggling with uh, the read and react part of safety and being too slow at that. So maybe he speeds up, right? Like it ain't over till it's over, right? He's He gets two more years to be under contract, to come into camp and try to earn a job. Uh, but you, you got to just be faster about stuff. I, I think that's really what has held him back. And unfortunately, not being on special teams sort of shortens that clock. Because if you don't play special teams and you don't play from scrimmage, what are you doing here? Kind of makes it harder to justify your, your place on the team. Uh, Little Scrungly asks, how do you think Ed Ingram is coming along? His name hasn't been brought up in a minute, which is usually a good thing for O-line. Uh, he's been fine. It's not perfect. <laughs> not perfect there's definitely been some rough l's on the tape but i think he's been fine uh the the o-line got a lot of praise for the last few weeks and he's been, gotten his fair share of that like he gets to to own his part of the credit um i think in the run game everyone had a bad game against the falcons and part of like a big part of that is having to contract the playbook the way they did because of dobbs so <clears throat> The way that they have to do it 
is also I'm so sorry. I, I'm still a little bit under the weather. I'm I'm sorry if it like my horse voice bugs people. I know that can drive people nuts, so I apologize. Uh so in the, the the Vikings run game, the way a lot of teams have approached zone run games this year, the Panthers did it and the Vikings crushed it. The Packers do sort of a fancier version of it, but basically they just tell their defensive linemen to slash with the zone action. So that means when the when the O-line steps to the left because it's zone left and they're trying to overtake the, the defensive tackle, the defensive tackle will also step that direction and essentially just try to stay in that gap and it just becomes kind of a race to each other's outside shoulder. Um that's really exploitable with some of the subversions on the Vikings run game. But once you've got Josh Dobbs in there and you're just trying to get play calls that people know that he can like do, (laughs) it's a little bit harder to um, go to the fancy subversion stuff because that's part of a play package that he just doesn't know and that you can't necessarily go with. So I I think that's what happened against the Falcons. Um, uh, with I, I kind of just wanted an excuse to do that in terms of Ed Ingram himself. Yeah, he got overtaken a couple times against the Falcons, but like I'm kind of like it's it's hard. So I, I am not 100 percent going to kill him over that. But yeah, he took some else. Uh, yeah, I've got a few more that I can do here. So we are going to switch into rapid fire mode here on uh, Twitter Tuesday. Locked on Vikings podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It is a great time to join FanDuel if you haven't already, because new customers get $150 in bonus bets without winning or with winning any $5 money line bet. So that means any money line, no matter how big of a favorite it is, you can just go get the biggest favorite anywhere. Basketball team, uh, hockey team, NFL, college, whatever. Go bet some 35-point favorite. Five bucks on that. Assuming you win it, you get 150 bucks back in bonus bets. It's like 30 to one odds on any money line. It's a crazy deal. So get into fanduel.com slash locked on. You can take advantage of that. They've got all kinds of other stuff to bet on. Of course, spreads, player props, over-unders, crazy parlays, all the stuff. You can go find all these categories. Scroll through it. It's infinite. Uh, go to fanduel.com slash locked on. Get yourself a grambling. Fanduel, official partner of the NFL. Let's keep it rolling here on Twitter Tuesday on the Locked On Vikings podcast. The next question comes from David Lyons, who says, Is there a chance the offense had a Randy Ratio situation going on with Jefferson? <laughs> so they so without him, they're not forcing the ball to any particular receiver now. Yeah, so they're definitely. Randy ratio. No, there was not like a literal Randy ratio thing. The Randy ratio is crazy because if he, if it was late in the game and he wasn't close on the Randy ratio, you'd start forcing the ball to him, like to the detriment of the team. But I think there was definitely a JJ's always the first read kind of deal, which on one hand makes sense. He's Jefferson. Of course he should be the first guy that we should try to get the ball to him as much as possible. And he should be, you know, the guy running the most crucial route. Um, but it could kind of backfire on you because if they're going to put a safety over the top of it all the time, if they're going to double him functionally in, in, in the zone way that teams double now, um, that means that you basically are always coming off your first read and you're running an offense that just has to be second read and onward. And that's, that'll hamstring you, right? That'll make things go a little bit longer. That'll sort of bog down the whole thing without that. 
now you're just doing concepts and you're just reading stuff across and, and that can work out a little bit better. I think that worked with Kirk. Now that we're in this like weird QB drama zone that we're in, I, I think you can go back to the other thing and say, just, hey, man, just like rely on JJ <laughs> once he's back, of course. Um, but I do think that it is healthy that the Vikings had to figure out how to live without him. So if he is getting taken away super hard in a game, it feels like they've now developed a pitch that they can trust. That's a little bit of a counterpunch there. They've got a new club in the bag. And I think that that's healthy, even though, of course, it's awful to not have Jefferson. It's nice to be able to develop that stuff and not be taking losses while you do it. Just win four in a row because, you know, why not, Vikings? <laughs> uh, David Johnson says, when, if ever, is Davenport coming back? Uh, we haven't heard a lot about him. He's not eligible until after the Saints game. So we'll we'll see. I have no idea what the severity of the ankle thing is. Um, we haven't heard anything about it one way or another. Yeah, could be the end of the season. It did not. I mean, it wasn't reported as a season-ending injury, so I would assume he's expected back at some point. Who knows what that timeline is? That is something that we'll probably be talking about next week. Wouldn't be surprised to see like bye week. That'd be a pretty good time to do it, which means he would be out five games in total with that. Matthew Magda says, I keep hearing you talk about how QBs set their feet and their throwing platform, but I don't know much about it. Maybe you've explained it before, but for any newish listeners, could you explain what that means and why it's important? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so if you are a golfer, this is going to make immediate sense to you, but basically with your feet, and by the way, uh, most of this information is just like couched straight from the QB school <laughs> and JT O'Sullivan, former NFL uh, quarterback, also has coached this, so He's going to explain it and do it way better. And he talks about it all the time on basically every one of his videos. So you'll, you'll pick it up from there as well, but I'll do my best. Um, so basically what you want with your, with your feet is if you draw a line from toe to toe, from your back toe to your front toe, that should point directly at what you're throwing at. So if it's further to, uh, the, to your blind side, I call it like an open stance, which a lot of quarterbacks will have. Um, and essentially if your stance is open, your hips aren't torquing as much. You won't get as much power on that. And then to make up the difference, so you can still get the ball where it needs to be and throw it hard enough. You're just going to go with like all arm. And it's just really hard to be consistent with a, a throw that's all arm and not using the torque of your lower body. Again, for golfers, that should make immediate sense. You, you don't want an open stance as a golfer because the most power your body can generate is by like twisting itself up and then uncorking. And that, that torque is going to generate more power than you ever can with like just the muscles in your arm. Um, and that's also going to be a more consistent and reliable motion of the ball. Just the biomechanics of that are more consistent than the biomechanics of your arm that could be a little higher or a little lower or a little faster or a little slower every time you do it. Way harder to be consistent with just arm. Brian London says Bobby Bryant was a pretty good tackler in the day, albeit clips of him trying to tackle Earl Campbell were okay. It was Earl. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, best Vikings cornerback tackler of all time. I got to give that to Winfield, right? I mean, Antoine Winfield was incredible as a tackler. Maybe it was because he was incredible for his size, but I mean, it wasn't just for his size. He was an absolutely unreal tackler. Uh, Carl Lee, also very, very good at that, but I think I got to give it to Winfield. Noted Undesirable asks, when the Vikings were looking for a new head coach, you didn't have KOC as a top candidate. I think he was in like C tier. How do you think he's mitigated the reasons uh, he wasn't a top tier candidate in your eyes and accentuated his strengths? So... 
two things I'm like struggling to remember this. I do remember not liking KOC, but the reasons for it I, I'm fuzzy on. But if I remember, it was that I didn't just want to blindly grab the next guy that had had a cup of coffee with McVeigh. And it felt like we were doing that a little bit, which was pretty reductive, right? Like Kevin O'Connell's clearly goes way deeper than that. Um, and then I think the other thing I didn't like was I didn't have really any evidence whether or not he was a leader of men. Like, what's the culture going to be like? Because this has got to be all about culture and this like beach vibes culture thing. And I think that that has been it's I mean, we're coming off a phenomenal culture game, right? Like not showing any quit in that game was absolutely fantastic. So that really does do a lot to assuage that concern for me. I do think that there have been times in this uh, tenure where the sort of laid back lack of intensity has gotten them bit. I think the Eagles game this year is one example of that. Uh, so ups and downs, but we're coming off such an incredible up. It's pretty hard for me to say that. Finally, hair is Smith says with all the emotions going through the fan base right now, it's easy to lose sight of what's truly important in the world. How are the bunnies doing and where have they been? Uh, so if you are a YouTube viewer, you will have missed the rabbits for a long time in the ads. If you're just an audio listener, you have no idea what this is about. But I used to put video of the rabbits over all of the ad reads. I stopped doing that because we are trying to socialize the rabbits a little bit and get them used to physical contact, which means we bother them a lot. <laughs> and I didn't want to bother them any more than we actually have to, to uh, get that like training goal done. So I stopped doing that. It was it was for them. They, they I didn't want to stress them out anymore. Um, then we are already like we're annoying them a lot, uh, but they're doing good. They just, uh, are annoyed, <laughs> but they're still picking the games. If you go to my Twitter, uh, right now, ZD is three and two and Zoe is two and three. So they're in a dead heat pretty much. So we'll see how the, uh, rabbit picks keep going with that. Zoe actually picked the Falcons win. Zostradamus. She's back. <laughs> Tomorrow, we'll talk about the Vikings offense, uh, how it might change, some defensive stuff as well, and maybe even get on the whiteboard if I have to. Uh, until then, have a good one. Stay safe. I love you. And as always, Skull.